This is Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates on WERU Radio. I am Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. My guests today both work with um, youth living in low-income communities. Uh, Joel Furrow directs the work of the Root Cellar in Lewiston, Maine. Dara Graham directs the work of the St. Calms Park House in Derry, London, Derry, Northern Ireland, also working with youth. Uh, among other issues, we will discuss the role of religion in your work. Um, Joel, could you describe what led you to, to engage in social justice and human rights work? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, my, my dad is a, uh, is a minister, uh, still currently pastor down in North Carolina. So we, uh, we're from the Virginia, West Virginia area. So, uh, the West Virginia Appalachian, uh, Baptist church was kind of what I was raised in. And, um, uh, so we, I remember from early age going on, you know, visitations with him, you know, but it's what we call shut in. So older women, older or men that were in difficult situations, uh, needed help nursing homes, uh, different things like that. And, and just always kind of had a, a sense of service and uh, as, as really a, an expression of our faith uh, was, was, you know, just always connected. It wasn't ever something that was separate. And, um, and so, uh, you know, that, that was something that I think was very much instilled in me by both parents, my mom and my dad um, at an early age. Uh, so uh, from there, you know, it just became um something that I wanted to learn more about. And as I learned more about my faith, uh, the way of Jesus, uh, I decided, you know, hey, it's, let's learn what it would be like to do this uh, full time. And uh, so that took a several paths, you know, kind of changing in majors in college and different things like that. But ultimately, uh, you know, took a, a winding road to where I am now, which is leading an organization that, that does this work. So let me just back up uh, a little bit. Um, uh, what was the other kind of work that you were uh, doing, particularly with young people? Yeah. Um, well, to go back a, a little before that, um, I, I uh, when I was in college, I did a year abroad in uh, in the Middle East and actually studied Arabic and worked with some uh, um, Iraqi refugees in Jordan. This is in 2006, 2007. And are you are you fluent? No, not even close. I can, I can tell a few, I used to, I could, I was able to tell a few jokes when I left uh, and uh, I could survive. If you, if you drop me into uh, back in Jordan or Iraq right now, I could, I could, uh, I could order, order at a, at a restaurant and, uh, and make some small talk and then be exposed about my accent's pretty good is what I'm told. My Arabic accent's pretty good, but, uh, but then I, and within about three minutes, I'd be pretty exposed as not, not a fluent, not fluent at all. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, got exposed to a lot of things. There are Palestinian refugees, Iraqi refugees, and just, you know, just, uh, the, a totally different set of needs, a totally different. So something that was just way beyond my concept of, you know, coming out of, uh, what ultimately really became, you know, suburban America, uh, is where it was, how I was raised. And, uh, and so, um, uh, when, I, after I came back, I was looking for an opportunity to work with teens, uh, out of college and, and, uh, specifically, uh, you know, in communities of need, specifically refugees, refugee communities, uh, started working with, uh, uh, a group of teenagers in, uh, Atlanta, um, uh, in Clarkston, um, and, uh, for 
I was an internship right out of college with a group called Friends of Refugees, a uh, really amazing community of uh, Bosnian, Somali, Sudanese, uh, and just a, an incredible diversity. Um, and uh, after that internship ended, I uh, found a job uh, actually with the Salvation Army in, uh, in Boston and uh, started working with uh, court-involved teenagers. Uh, so we ran a, ran a diversion program um, first in Cambridge and then started a, a new chapter of the same program in Roxbury and Dorchester, uh, parts of Boston. Um, and I'm curious on a month to month or week to week or day to day or who knows, maybe many times um, in your work. Is religion is religion is is the teachings of Jesus something that you're thinking and talk talking about? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I I would hope all the time. I mean, it's uh, it's um, for me, it's not something that kind of inspired me into something else, but it, it's become kind of a way of living uh, and uh, a way of life. Um, uh, you know, so the more that I've learned and studied about the way of Jesus, the more, um, I guess, uh, the more compelled I am to to do something about, I guess, the injustices or the pain or the suffering or 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 just anyone in need that I you know, that I kind of come in contact with, and and that's gone. You know, professionally, that's kind of changed from doing a lot of direct services to doing more. You know. Uh, having more executive leadership of an organization at this point, but uh, but it's kind of gone from me doing the work to how do I in, empower others to do that work as well, uh, and and that's and that's been just incredibly rewarding to to see that come to. Come and and um, uh, I I think I'm correct on this, but um, you'll let me know that um, in the actual work that you're doing, you're, you're you're working with people from who are Muslim and other faiths that come. Um, this isn't a this isn't about um, conversion. Yeah, and so I it's it's an interesting thing. So we we have this unique situation where I um I mean I'm all in, full believer in you know in Jesus, who he is, his way uh, of living and everything. Um, and it's because of that, that we are, I feel very compelled to love our neighbors as ourselves, as myself. And so, uh, what that means is that I learn from and respect our Muslim neighbors tremendously. You know, I, um, I had a, I, I've had just an incredible privilege to get to know so many Muslims and whether it was in Boston or in, in the Middle East or, or here in Lewiston, uh, in Portland, Maine and, and, um, just grown really fond of uh, uh, of many parts of their culture and many things that they bring, and and so I, I, I look for ways to build bridges. And what I found is that you know I, my faith and and their faith actually has a lot of bridges in between them. There's a lot of differences. There's a lot of things that are that are unique and some are pretty significant. But I found that when we look for those bridges, um, and then we we tend to. Uh, find a lot to commune over and build a community around. And then those differences become really interesting conversations. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the only I would add that, um, that uh, uh, my faith um, or is I'm Jewish and, and part of that um, connection comes from 
Judaism because both uh, Christianity and um, and Islam came out of uh, of Jewish worship. Um, Dara, um, is your work connected to your religion? Sorry, repeat the question. Um, uh, is 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 the work that you do um, um, motivated in part um, as somebody who does social justice and and uh, uh, human um, human rights? Is um, is that part of your your faith? And maybe you can talk about what that faith is. Yeah. I think a lot of what Joel is saying resonates with me personally. Um, sorry, just just to clarify, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Steve. Um, but I'm I'm not a director at St. Collins Park House. Uh, I'm a youth worker and I coordinate youth work programs. Um, but yeah, so so St. Collins Park House is a peace and reconciliation centre. So you could describe it as being secular. I don't know if it's ever fair to call anything secular in in Northern Ireland, certainly. Um, probably not in the States either. Um, I think that we're all influenced by, um, whether that's individually or societally, we're influenced by um, the teachings of various major religions. Um, Personally, I think that it's a very complex question for me because my entire life, who I am, and even like how my parents met um, is quite explicitly like directly due to my religion. So I'm a Baha'i. The Baha'i faith is a a world religion that originated in Persia, what was then Persia, um, in the uh, 19th century the mid-1800s. And again, it's an Abrahamic religion, so Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the Baha'i faith would all be Abrahamic religions. Um, Baha'is also believe in, you know, Eastern, the validity of Eastern religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, But yeah, like, so I'll, I'll maybe describe my parents. It's, I'm not really answering your question here, Steve, but I feel like it's... You, you, you are answering the question. <laughs> I, I have been interested about your parents. It's, so, it's such a huge... For me, it's such a huge part. So my, my, my mother was, is Iranian. Um, she grew up in Iran, and at the age of 18, 19, she was from a fairly well-off family. Um, I, I, well... I would assume very well off. Um, at the age of 18, 19, she uh, came to England to, to study. Um, this would have been in the early, mid-1970s. And, uh, and what, what was her religion uh, at birth? She was, she was born into a Baha'i family. Um, her parents were Baha'is. Her parents became Baha'is. They were Jews before that. So uh, I don't know, um, how, like those listening, I don't know how much you know about uh, about Iran and Judaism and the Baha'i faith, but um, 
I think that Jews would be persecuted in Iran back then and currently. Um, I know that Baha'is were persecuted in Iran back then, um, not massively before the revolution, but it was difficult for them before the revolution. Then when the revolution happened in 1979, um, basically my mum was in England, her parents were over visiting, and while her parents were visiting, her dad got a call from his brother saying, there's no reason for you to come back to Iran. They've taken everything you own. So he owned two businesses, an estate agents and also a carpentry business. Um, and he lost both of those businesses and all of his personal property was, was lost in the revolution in 1979, January 1979. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know whether it was lucky or unlucky um, that he was in England at the time. It meant that he got to live. I don't know what would have happened otherwise. Um, but he became a refugee and never really wanted to be in England, never had any affinity with England, never had any desire to learn English other than to get things done. Just really, really didn't want to be there. Um, and, um, and what about your, your father? So you rewind back a little bit. My dad was about 18 years old living in Northern Ireland um, at the height of the troubles in Northern Ireland. Uh, he was in university, just gone to university and was uh, quite an active peace activist. Um, and one night he was in the pub. I don't know why he was in the pub making a poster for a peace rally, but he was in the pub making a poster for a peace rally. Um, he tell the way he tells the story. He says he would normally be in a library doing this, but anyway, he was in the pub and he met a Baha'i and had a conversation about the Baha'i faith and basically decided there and then. Um, didn't tell the man that he was talking to, but decided in his own mind there and then, and in his in his own heart, that the Baha'i faith answered all of his questions about his belief in Christ, uh, answered all of his questions about his issues with sectarianism, uh, and answered all of his questions about. Um, Basically, the, the issue with humans using religion as a tool for war. Um, and within a couple of weeks then, he, he started getting more involved with the Baha'i community and uh, became a Baha'i or um, declared to others that he'd become a Baha'i. I think when he tells the story, it was right in that second. So my parents then met about 10 years later, but it was due to their belief in the Baha'i faith and due to my mom's persecution due to being a Baha'i that they met. Um, and again, for me, personally, professionally, all of the principles of the Baha'i faith are the reason that I'm involved in the work that I do. Um, Baha'u'llah, the, the founder of the Baha'i faith, um, talks about needing to defend the rights of the victim of oppression. Um, and I don't know if I really thought about it until quite recently. Um, but I think that I've spent my professional life trying to do that um, and hopefully getting better at it as time goes on. And I'm, I'm interested in, um, in your work, um, the same question I asked Joel, um, does, does your faith sort of come in, into, your, into your mind at various times when you're doing work? And if so, how? And, why and what? Yeah, in my mind, certainly. I feel like, so my entire training in terms of youth work came from the Baha'i faith. Um, 
Explicitly not so much. And I don't think, I don't know to what extent I would be comfortable talking about God. Um, doesn't really come up. Um, certainly if I was asked, I would, I would be very comfortable talking about my perspective and, and my, um, my religious beliefs as an individual. Um, it's never really, it's never really happened. Um, I see it as my role more to listen and challenge um, than to share my my own religious beliefs or anything like that. Um, separately, Baha'is aren't allowed to proselytize. Um, so I'm sort of careful about um, how much I share. Like I know that I'm in a position of power and I think it's important for those in a position of power to be true to, to um, whatever their purpose is in their role. But absolutely, certainly from a personal perspective, um, my entire role is shaped around my belief that uh, all people are created noble, all people are created in the sight of God, in the image of God. Um, All people have a purpose in life, which is to develop spiritual qualities, to develop themselves, um, and to improve the world that they live in. And this, what I'm talking about now, the idea of developing yourself and, and the world that you live in, this is referred to in um, the Baha'i youth work that, that I was involved in, that I'm not currently involved in, which is disgraceful. Um, it's referred to as the twofold moral purpose, that while we improve ourselves, we increase our capacity to improve our surroundings. And as we improve our surroundings... Um, we develop spiritual qualities that, that bring us closer to God. And these two things are inextricably linked. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm struck by some of the similarities. And I would add as a, a similarity for, um, uh, for the, um, for the three the three religions that are sitting in this room all share um, a, a history of, of oppression and violence. Um, at at uh, well, one can say at this time, but in fact, it's probably been at um, every time at some point. Um, um, Joel, can let me uh, remind people who have come in uh, what you're listening to. Uh, This is Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. We have been discussing working with youth and communities uh, that at times have experienced significant tensions. We also have discussed how religion uh, affects the work of both of our guests. Our guests are Joe Furrow, who directs the work of the Roots Hour in Lewiston, Maine, and Dara Graham, who uh, uh, directs the work with um, with young people in the St. Columns Park House in Derry, Londonderry, Northern Ireland. So, um, Joe, what what is the What's the work that you are doing with youth? Yeah, so the, the Root Cellar has a mentoring program 
um, uh, that is fairly broad uh, in, in its scope. We work with, uh, you know, kindergartners all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, but the our, the real um, uh, the, the interesting thing about the, our, our, the way we do that is through peer mentoring. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, we mentor our teenagers who also help us mentor the younger younger uh, kids. And, uh, and that's one of the ways that we really, I, I think, start to um, kind of allow for these kids to grow up with, with seeing someone that looks like them uh, and in these really positive and uh, places of power within an organization. Um, and, uh, and so uh, the, the, the teams that we work with are uh, not just, um, you know, people, not just participants in a program. They're also, they're also people who are also individuals who are, are part of our organization in a unique way. They're, they're actually paid in many cases. Uh, we, we have a, a, a decent size is scaled up for us. So about t- this summer, we have about 22 uh, um, uh, teens that are from our local neighborhood that are also that are uh, effectively employed by the root seller. So they are uh, they're working with us on a number of fronts, uh, including a lawn care business, which is kind of a small business experience for them for the summer. Uh, so it's not just working, but it's also learning what it means to run a business and and uh, and work with, you know, how to. Uh, provide customer support. So the whole kind of soft skills on the job side. Um, and then there's also, uh, they're also working as leaders in our summer day camp uh, with, uh, with uh, that serves about 90 kids uh, in Lewiston. And then we have another 50 kids in Portland. And uh, in terms of um, the ethnicity or race of the young people who are uh, working, um, how does that break down? Yeah, so increasingly it's, it's primarily Somali uh, uh, and uh, the Somali community, you know, kind of hails from multiple uh, East African countries, uh, but, um, but primarily Somali in ethnicity. And then uh, we also have a, a decent number of Congolese and Angolan uh, kind of representation, and normally a couple of kids that look like me, uh, and that's and that makes sense. A couple of white kids uh, that are uh, from from the community as well, and uh, and so that's and that's a a, a really uh, um, the, the Tree Streets neighborhood, uh, and then the uh, East Bayside community in Portland. Um, you know the the our target community in, in general uh, tends to be more uh, East African uh, in terms of, terms of like that's who's accessing our our services and who's part of our part of our community. Um, so it's not necessarily intentional, but it's definitely a, a, a reflection of, of who lives in the direct area. And, and the uh, Somali youth are, um, are uh, probably almost 100% Muslim. And uh, the African youth uh, could be a mix, but many of them are Christian. Yeah, so the, the Angolan and Congolese are typically, you know, at least nominally Christian. If, if you know, definitely like that's definitely a cultural norm, I'd say, uh, versus the the you know the, the Somali community is, uh, you know, is, is almost entirely Muslim. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, do you mind if I just ask a question here about um, the? this specific work that you're doing. So you're describing this peer mentoring program and you're describing um, basically employing these 22 young people to, um, to to run various things or to be involved in various things in the organization. 
But what is the effect of that work on those young people? So obviously there's a benefit to the organization, there's a benefit to the community, but what's the effect of that work on the young people themselves when you see them take on those peer mentoring roles? So that's really, uh, I think that's really the heart of the work that we're doing. Um, uh, so specifically, so it, it's grown, it's gone from just, you know, how do we, how do we have enough staff to run this larger scale program? That was, that was kind of like, that was a few years ago. And then we've kind of added a few elements. And then this year, I think we're really firing on all cylinders in a lot of ways. Um, the, uh, you know, if you're a um, part of what we call Lou Crew in Lewiston, it's, it's the name of the, the Lou Crew Teen uh, Work Experience is what is the name of the program. Um, and if you're part of Lou Crew, you are experiencing, uh, you know, effectively 35 hours of a combination of things. There's real work responsibilities built into this in, in various kinds of ways. But there's also electives and different things they're learning. So it's anything from uh, uh, you know, so there's some basic leadership development, there's soft job skills in this program that we have called Powered for Life. Um, there are, um, uh, we're doing a, they've done a psychology four-week elective, kind of just doing some basic, you know, let's think about your mind and let's think about like decisions that we're making, you know, so helping a teenager develop a more mature brain, constant struggle. You know, um, uh, uh, there's uh, there's a, a, a various other things. I mean, we're doing like a, a home ec thing. So just teaching how to cook, doing making meals so, and some other basic life skills. Um, uh, there's a big part of it is also um, financial literacy. And and so the just uh, receiving a check weekly. You know, we've had some interesting experiences uh, lately where we've had a few kids. Uh, they'll, they get a check from us and they take they'll add, an, add a one in front of the you know, say it's a check for $50, they'll add a one in front of that and try to make it a check for $150, or they'll make a five into an eight. So a 50 becomes an 80. And so there, there's these mistakes that are made in this first time job experience that I think are really, really valuable. You know, you work for anybody else, you're going to get fired immediately, that type of thing. You add a couple of zeros to that and you're looking at prosecution for sure, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, they get to make that mistake with us. And, uh, and, and so that's an opportunity for, uh, you know, what, uh, what's a, another bedrock of our programming, which is a restorative justice practices in this community sense. And so they're making a mistake with us and we get to work through that and learn from it uh, and help them. And, and then we go from, you know, just a program that they're part of to previous work history, you know, to, you know, potential to, an, to an, you know, kind of an advisor for the next step and, you know, a real advocate for them. And uh, Joe, I, I, believe you told me that um, you you keep your young people you don't when they do something that is uh, uh, inappropriate as you've just described uh, you don't say okay God, there's the door yeah yeah you know so and that's very going back to faith that's really um, you know we believe in a in a god that is uh that is loving and forgiving and there's not really a limit to either of those things um and and that's not because he's a doormat <laughs> that's not because he just he doesn't deal with problems doesn't deal with harm and injustice it, he he does so but he redeems it and so uh in in that vein we try to look at those experiences look at those moments with a child or a teen and say okay how can we work through, let's discover the harm that was done. Let's, let's determine kind of what can we do together to make that right, to restore a relationship uh, in many cases to maybe it's, you know, fixing a broken window that's been, or, you know, there's now a hole in the drywall, you know, so sometimes it's literally fixing something 
uh, you know, um, sometimes it's uh, working through uh, forgiveness with a, with another child or many times a staff person. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then how do we, uh, work through forgiveness and kind of at the root cellar, it's, it's reflecting God's forgiveness, uh, in many cases. And so, uh, and, and that's, and that's really what we're, what we're trying to ingrain. That's why I say that hopefully it's everything that we're doing in a lot of ways, because we're trying to, uh, in, you know, follow in that way. And that, it, that way. it's really impressive. Um, it's a great, uh, it's an incredible team. I'm just again, the guy who gets to tell the story. I'm the guy who has time to jump on an interview at 30 instead of working with, I'm not doing the restorative practice right now. I'm talking to you about it. So those are the real, uh, the hey, real Yeah, well, the leader is important. Darrow, can you talk about um, uh, your work and to what extent the, uh, the tensions between uh, Catholics and Protestants affects the work you do? If at all, <laughs> uh, and and doing that in twenty two seconds. No. Okay, perfect. So, I had a conversation this afternoon with three members of staff on a program where they started this evening. Um, we so I was delivering training for the staff, and we were talking about what are the problems in the world around us, um, what are some of the solutions to these problems. And then the program is called NCS, it's the, the hoodie I'm wearing. Wait, um, oh, you can't see my hoodie on the radio. What a pity. Um, the nice and then what does NCS do specifically that can, that can link in with some of the solutions to these problems? The two of the three members of staff, so one of the members of staff is a qualified youth worker with her degree in youth work and her professional qualifications. The other two members of staff are young people who came through the program a number of years ago, one in 2017, one in 2019. Um, and so these are young people aged 18 and 20-ish. And in that entire conversation where we talked about things from capitalism to climate change to social inequalities and um, you know, extremes of wealth and poverty and problems with government policy, um, all, all these sorts of things. Not once in that conversation did anybody mention sectarianism. Mm. Now, that, that's, in, that's impressive. One, one of those, the, the young man, aged 18, is from a Protestant family. The young woman and from Balamoni, which is a very Protestant area, the young woman, age 20, is from a Catholic family, um, from uh, an area just outside Derry, Londonderry, which is actually in the Republic of Ireland, not in Northern Ireland. Um, so we sort of have a funny situation here in, in, in Derry, Londonderry, where a lot of the people who, who work here, who go to school here, whose lives are here, um, they actually live across the border in the Republic of Ireland. For them, it's one place. For, for me, actually, it's one place. I look out my bedroom window and I'm looking at the hills of Donegal. They're five miles away. They're the Republic of Ireland. But anyway, the point that I'm making just is that in this conversation, when these young people and this other member of staff were reflecting on the issues that, that surround us, um, sectarian, sectarianism was not the main one that, that it wasn't mentioned at all. Um, yeah. does, does it come up with... Yeah. It uh, does youth? come up 
and it is a massive problem. Um, a lot of the time in the work that we do, because we're focused on solving problems, um, on because we're focused on identifying and then dealing with things, a lot of the time we don't, or the young people don't choose to focus on sectarianism because they see it as something that it's a problem that belongs to older people. It's a problem that belongs to their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation. Um, I don't know how much I agree with that in general. Um, I certainly agree with it for these specific young people that are engaging with us. Um, but there are communities and they're like, there's a young person who was engaged with us a couple of years ago who um, had paint bombs thrown at his house because he appeared in a picture with Prince Harry. Um, he's from a very, very Catholic, Republican, nationalist area, and it wasn't acceptable to the people in his community that he would be mixing with royalty, with British So, so we're talking about um, the Catholic community um, uh, doing something very dangerous to the life of a young person who was also Catholic because he had a picture of yeah. uh, Prince Harry. Yeah. Um, like it was a picture was taken of him with Prince Harry and because that was the sort of yeah. publicly available, then he became a target. Um, and, and the context of that picture being taken was peace and reconciliation work that he was involved in with a partner organization of ours, Cooperation Ireland. Um, so this, this happens, it exists. It's not something that we're pretending doesn't happen. Um, but I do think it's important to recognize that for a lot of young people, I would say for the majority of young people in this city, sectarianism is not the big issue that it is for their parents' generation. Um, they themselves don't feel it and experience it. Um, even though we have this problem of the, the seven versus 70 issue, where 70%, 70 percent, seven zero percent of um, of people who are polled in Northern Ireland claim they support integrated education. Oh, sorry, sorry. Did I not tell you that our education system is segregated? Oh, so if you're a Protestant, you're not allowed to go to school with a Catholic, and if you're a Catholic, you're not allowed to go to school with a Protestant. So seventy percent, seven zero percent of people who are polled think that education should be integrated. Protestants and Catholics should be schooled together because... But it, but it doesn't change easily. So the 70 versus 7 thing is that only 7% of the population here is, is integrated in yeah. terms of education. And, uh, and the schools that are integrated are actually called integrated schools. Um, there yeah. are a handful throughout... Um, the country. Um, 7%. Um, it, it feels to me that we probably should um, be having three shows on this, but... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so much, Joel, that you that you've talked about as well. That really, like, it really resonates with me personally and professionally. Um, so much, so much. I would love to just spend some time just chatting. Um, and learn well, well I, I've already made a note um, about um, 
trying to talk to um, both of you to see if next summer there could be a start of a um, of a reciprocal trip. Um, I was able to do that um, uh, with st students from Derry, London, Derry coming to Maine, um, but it, it uh, which was just utterly rem remarkable. But um, uh, Dara, um, what's the what's the most um, before you before I finish that I'm gonna uh, again tell people what we're talking about today. If you've come in late, uh, this is Change Agents: Conversations with Human Rights and Social Justice Advocates. We've been discussing working with youth in communities that at times have experienced significant tensions. We have um, also have talked about how religion affects both of the work of our of our guests and our guests are Joel Furrow, um, who directs the work of the Roots Hour in Lewiston, Maine, and, and uh, Dara Graham, who directs the youth work for St. Colm's Park House in Derry, London, Derry, Northern Ireland. Um, uh, so what's, what's the hardest part or most difficult part of your job? And maybe it's, it's, you can do it by one incident or whatever comes to mind. Um, I think uh, it's probably having to deal with safeguarding issues, um, having to deal with young people who are experiencing some sort of mental health crisis um, or who are themselves um, sort of doing something to others that's harming others where you have to um, protect others or protect the individual. Um, it's really, really sad to see. Sorry, go ahead. Is, um, is this um, uh, conflict within your program or conflict in often um, where people live in their family? Uh, well, both. Like, so just to be clear, that like, this is not something that happens a lot. Uh, this is something that has happened maybe three times, four times in the past three or four years. It's not something that I, I have to deal with a lot. But whenever you have to deal with individuals who are su suicidal or individuals who are uh, causing harm to others or potentially causing harm to others, it takes a lot of energy and that energy can can go a long way whenever it's used positively. So the energy that's required to, to deal with conflict, I find, and the energy that's required to deal with disunity and the energy that's required to deal with hurt and like mental and emotional anguish, that, that energy is huge in my experience. Um, and it's just really sad that like Nor Northern Ireland is a particularly difficult place in terms of um, young people's psychological well-being and the extent of mental health problems here. Um, 
within Northern Ireland. So Northern Ireland is a difficult place in the context of the United Kingdom. Uh, and within Northern Ireland, the two worst places or the two most difficult places in terms of suicide and depression are uh, West Belfast and Derry, Londonderry. Um, so there's like a mental health like epidemic um, and the coronavirus, the, the virus itself and, and the restrictions that came along with it have compounded that. Um, so there's a huge, huge, huge issue for a lot of young people in this city. And suicide is a massive problem for a lot of young people in this city. Um, and we lost like a father of a, uh, do you know, it's just awful. So two weeks ago, um, one of the young people in the group lost her father to suicide. He'd been in prison for 13 years, got out of prison, um, had issues with substance abuse, um, and basically wasn't able to, um, he wasn't able to get back into the world that he lived in 13 years ago um, and relied on, on whatever substances he was abusing and eventually took an overdose and, and passed away. So this, this young person now like, has lost her father um, due to that. And I feel like that's, you know, when we're putting effort into this sort of work, um, helping people with those sort of problems, um, it's a huge amount of energy that is much more efficiently spent dealing with things before they become problems. Yeah, but but thank goodness that you're there. Um, Joel, I'm wondering if um, you have similar issues. Yeah, so much of what Darius you're saying is I'm really, I, I resonate both on like a, um, especially my work in, in Boston with uh, juvenile offenders. That was more just, you know, direct, that, that constant energy working with conflict or uh, between teens or with their families. Uh, and then the, the kind of the ripple effect of issues that are happening around them that, that, you know, it's, it's one thing that got caught shoplifting, but there's just huge amount of, of challenges that they're, they're experiencing, or maybe it's a more violent situation. I mean, I, I just resonate so much with that. And my, my heart really, I kind of jog my memory, jog my, my thinking a little bit about like, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm about a year into my, into being the, the uh, director of the organization. Now I've been the coordinator in the past nine years or so. And, um, I find I'm finding that um, you know how do I create a supportive and uh, and um, I guess uh, helpful uh, you know uh, staff uh, staffing situation. So my staff very much like there's like they that dealing with that trauma, working through that trauma with kids and teenagers on a very regular basis with our neighbors. You know, uh, Lewiston is really unique in its uh, ge- geography. Very, it's very concentrated in its uh, in its poverty uh, has been for generations. Really, uh, the Somalis became part of this predominantly white community in 2003, and, uh, and they, you know they moved into a very a really high density uh, part of part of the town, part of the city, and um, and, and then uh, you know they, were, they weren't welcomed by really anyone, unfortunately, and uh, and that's and the combination of the trauma that the generational poverty that the, our white community brings, uh, as well as the refugee experience, uh, and then the secondary migration into Lewiston and and the the trauma that surrounds that experience since 2003 to present, um, 
just and just compounded by daily life. Uh, you, you know, uh, you know that's our my my staff, my team, our volunteers. They they absorb that, and so I, I'd say like at this moment, you know, the most I'd say the more challenging thing about uh, kind of my job is you know how do I how do I help our staff work through this type of thing? How do I uh, support them? How do I create a structure that supports them? Because I can't do all of it, right? Um, uh, and you know, how do we how do we ensure that they're not burning out on this? Because the, the, you know, really, what Dara's describing resonates so much with that energy. Is uh, it is exhausting, and um, and and it's not because these you know. I think the way you phrased it was really, I think, really beautiful because it's not because he's, it's, it's clear based on his, the way Dara's describing it. It's not because he doesn't like these kids or doesn't like this, you know, doesn't enjoy the work or doesn't see profit. And it's just the, the amount of energy that is exerted is, is a real cost. Um, and so how do we, um, you know, create an organization that's sustainable financially, all that stuff, mission-wise, sure. But like at the end of the day, it's real people doing real work with with in very real issues. And so um, how do I structure an organization in a way that supports those individuals really well? So the question as well is if, if the organization is not changing the structures in society and changing the, 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 you know, the policies that affect. So basically for us in, in Derry, London Derry, what's going on is young people don't have access to mental health um, through the national health service. So they don't have access to um, to mental health professionals, basically. And because of that, there's now people who can pay for private health care versus like the 99% of the population can't and therefore don't get it. Um, and it's just so, so sad. And I think for, for me, the question is, how do we as an organization, um, how do these young people in their social action projects begin to address that bigger question? that bigger question around access to care, around um, dealing with the trauma of the troubles, around dealing with uh, poverty and substance abuse and, you know, like bringing criminals back into society once they've served their sentence in prison. Do you know, what, why are people criminalized for life? What, like, what, why is that not something that you spend your time in prison for and then you, you get out and then you're able to, to contribute to the world again? So I think these questions are, are ones that I'm interested in in terms of a social justice perspective and a human rights perspective. Um, this, uh, the conversation that we've just been, the two of you have been having is, is, uh, is so important. But I, I want to ask, um, how did the, how did each of you stay safe? Um, by far, for me, in the um, thirty years that I've been doing social justice, human rights work, and it's probably been maybe more than that. Uh, the the most difficult thing for me was what is called secondary traumatic stress. Um, and, uh, and particularly when you're running an organization as I did, and, um, and Dara, you are running a portion of it, and Joel, you were running at the, at the top. Um, how, how do you stay, um, how do you stay okay? How do you, because, you spend all this time worrying about the kids and the staff, 
but but it, but all of that is coming in. So, Joel, I'd say I mean it's it's a journey. It's a journey. It's constant. That's not a. I guess the way I'd answer that question today may not be the way I'd answer it. You know, tomorrow, <laughs> in some ways. But I've I've I feel like I've been trying to uh, learn a lot, some new rhythms in the last year and a half so specifically. Um, uh, and, uh, and one of the things that kind of resonates in my, this been, you know, as you were asking this question kind of came to mind, um, you know, you can't give out what you don't have. I think so often in like social justice or humanitarian work or nonprofit work, you know, we're all kind of idealists. That's how we, that's why we got into it. We're, you know, that's, that's, we have that in our heads. Um, and uh, at some point you start sacrificing yourself for other people, you know, for the mission. And, and that's a no very noble thing. But the reality is that if, if you don't have it within you, then you, it's very difficult for you to actually genuinely give something out. And it, at some point that'll be kind of exposed. And uh, I, I found myself in the past, you know, very, you know, becoming that in a sense, you know, not, you know, trying to speak something into existence that I wasn't personally, you know, carrying. And you might call that you know, somewhat hypocritical <laughs> in a sense, you know, um, you know, so all it's to say, like the things that I've been doing, you know, there's a lot of prayer, um, you know, kind of daily uh, um, uh, prayer that's uh, involved. You know, we do this, uh, it's been, it's become kind of a normal thing around the root cellar uh, for us to experience what we call the daily office, which is kind of this old Christian idea. Uh, but it's just literally, it's, times of silence and about 20 minutes of just like really experiencing the presence of Jesus. And this would be true for the staff that's, that's, uh, that, that is, that are Christians and not, not all of us, not everybody that's involved is a Christian, but those who us who are like, that's become very normal for us. Um, uh, there's also, um, uh, you know, uh, there's other things that we that I've tried to include, uh, whether it's just, you know, thinking about doing something more physical every day, you know, um, you know, I've tried this year, this summer, I've just decided to make our garden a big, at home, kind of an important part of uh, a little bit more important part of my life than in the past. And uh, I'm just kind of enjoying that. I'm not a gardener. I'm not a farmer, but I'm learning. Uh, my my kids are into animals. And so we've gotten chickens and uh, a mini horse <laughs> recently uh, in the last year. And so like, um, I've just, you know, chose to see those things as, you know, finding a lot of joy in that. And, um, and, and, uh, um, and, I, and I'm finding that the more I lean into that joy that's kind of around me, the more I can actually give that joy out to others. And it, when I receive those kind of gifts from God and like directly around me, whether it's my family, my wife, my kids, you know, these animals, I can, you know, that translates to other people. Uh, I actually have something to give them, not just, not just words, but actually something that's, you know, hopefully legitimately part of who I am. Um, uh, Joe, as you were, talking and uh, nobody uh, listening to this will be able to to um, to see this because uh, uh, you're not seeing the video but um, your um, your expression uh, was of one of open compassion and it's uh, it was powerful thank you um, Dara, um, what do you do to um, make sure you're not going to be the one who burns out? Um, yeah, so again, like similar things to Joel, I think 
so there's there's two ways to look at it for me one is the um what do you do to keep yourself sane and the other is a bit more like long-term bigger picture um strategic and so the what do you do to keep yourself sane i cycle to work I spend as much time outside of work as I possibly can. My uh, St. Collins Park House is um, in the middle of a 33-acre park in the middle of a city. Uh, the park borders a fairly large river, the River Foyle, um, and is surrounded by uh, the mountains of Donegal. Or on one side, we have the mountains of Donegal. So it's uh, a beautiful place, and spending time in nature is... Um, proven to be to be good for your mental health. Um, also, I'm fairly lucky because a lot of the young people are really interested in working in nature, uh, whether that's planting um, or just building things in the natural environment. So I get to do a lot of that. Um, so those sort of small things make life easier. But I think from a more strategic perspective, like I just choose the work that I do. Mm. Um, and I just think about what I'm fit for um, and what I can continually contribute to on a longer term basis. Um, I am in a position and have been for the past two or three years where, yeah, at times, and actually like right now is that time, like tonight we, we had uh, a new cohort coming into NCS um, but like until um, <laughs> until this evening at six o'clock, like um, my what's so six o'clock was the start of that session. My m my entire like life was is the program sorted? Are we okay? Like is everything organised for the residential next week? And are the staff in place? And all the you know all those sorts of things. Is it all okay? And that's perfectly fine for me at the minute because I'm really, really fulfilled by the work that I do and the conversations that I have with the participants, the conversations that I have with the staff working with the participants, like everything just fulfills me. It, it makes me feel um, worthwhile. And like what I'm doing is having a perpetual effect, not just, an effect, it's not an effect that ends with my work or the work that, that these other members of staff are doing. It's an effect that... Um, will last generations it feels like um, so I, yeah i think it's about looking at what your capacity oh. is and and where your best where your thank best you what your um, we are um we're closing in on the end um uh, these uh, interviews um go fast um uh, what i'd like to ask each of you um, to do in just about um, a minute um, is um, what's the best part of the work you do? So since we're on radio, I, um, a pause is really good, but I need uh, uh, anybody? Wanna? Steve, what did I say whenever we, I assumed you can edit this, yeah? Excuse me? I said, I assume you can edit this. Uh, no, no, everything is everything is coming coming on. So anyway, one sentence about um, what uh, either. I, what I you think love. For, 
for me, it's what I was describing before. It's about doing something um, really, really effective and efficient. So if if I go out and one sentence, yeah. So it's about if, it's about being efficient and education. I think is the key. Okay, sure. Um, I'd say. Uh, that's best described when we have uh, our our white neighbors, French Canadian descent, Somali. Um, our neighbors, our Congolese Angolan neighbors, gathering together at uh, at a table, you know, for a community dinner, or, or we do park nights on, on, on Thursday evenings. We do park nights in Lewiston. It's just the park is full of kids, people, neighbors. Uh, of, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful diversity. Um, that, we believe, is a picture of what Jesus described as the kingdom of heaven, kind of a taste. Right? We're getting a taste of that. And um, and so just honestly being able to be there and and receive that is probably the best part of my job. I, I, I it's, It is a true uh, blessing and honor to really be, just be present for that. So, yeah. Oh. Thank you for both for the work that you do for what I think has been a um, a remarkable conversation, and uh, I believe that the uh, the young people of Lewiston and Derry, London, Derry are um, are in a safer and better place because of what you both do and your colleagues. You have been listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights and social justice advocates. We have been discussing working with youth in communities that at times have experienced significant tensions. We also have discussed how religion has affected both of my guests' work. Our, our guests have been Joel Furrow, who directs the work of the Root Cellar in Lewiston, Maine, um, as well as in Portland, Maine, and Dara Graham, who directs the youth work for St. Colm's Park House in Derry, Londonderry, Northern Ireland. You can listen to Change Agents the first Thursday of every month here on WERU at 89.9 FM and streaming on the World Wide Web at WERU.org. And have a very good evening. <laughs>